Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Welcome to another episode of the Sales IQ Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi, and as always, I'm pumped, honored, and excited that you have joined us for what will be an epic episode. This week, we're joined by Kerwin Ray. Kerwin Ray is a high-performance expert. He's actually an expert across multiple things, but one of the things he's been doing for a number of years is helping business owners grow their business through capitalizing on wonderful world of social media. Now, this guy is insane. He speaks to hundreds and hundreds of people every week, puts on some insane events, speaks to, with the likes of Gary V for Success Resources and Grant Cardone at some big events. But ultimately, he's a genuinely good guy, and I really enjoyed getting to know him and having him on the podcast. So this is a really cool episode because we don't just talk about sales. We talk about high performance. We talk about mindset. And you know, as you know, I'm a big believer in mindset. Mindset is one of the reasons, or one of the things that differentiates high-performance sales from everyone else. So there is so much gold, there is so much awesomeness that's going to come from this particular episode. So guys, 2019 was an insanely busy year for me, um, putting out the podcast, um, traveling the world with some of my clients, and I've absolutely loved it. I've loved all the messages. Um, all the notes that you've sent to me. So keep sending them, keep hitting me up on LinkedIn. We've got some fucking insane guests coming up over the next sort of six to eight weeks and I can't wait to deliver some incredible content that's going to help you be the best sales professional you can be. So buckle up, sit tight, enjoy this episode with Kerwin. All right, so welcome to the Sales IQ podcast, Kerwin. Luigi, it is my honor and my pleasure to be here, mate. Thanks for having me. Well, brother, I'm pumped, man, and I am excited to say the least. Uh, your energy is fucking out of control. Thank so you, mate. I've got to contain myself today, man. So <laughs> Let it go, mate. Let it go. Let it go. Let it flow. Well, loving the setup here, man. And for the viewers that, uh, for my listeners that can't see where we're at, this is something hectic. It's, a, it's an environment where the minute I walked in, I felt a contagious energy of positivity, man. Mm. So um, thank you. you. Thank you very much. So mate, before we get into everything about sort of mindset, high performance, attitude, we'd love to hear, you know, how you started in the world of sales. Mate, that's actually a big question. Uh, The way I started in the world of sales, um, I think like any kid, just trying to convince your mum to give you something that you wanted, you know, whether it was a couple of bucks or a couple of cents to go and buy some, you know, some two cent frogs from the local shop, uh, or you're trying to convince mum to let you go and play with the, you know, the, the, the neighbor's boy up the back but my first actual sales job was when um, I was 13 years of age yeah. and me and my best mate we uh, we wanted to make money to go to the Townsville show mm-hmm. and so we decided uh, we were going to wash cars and we're like this is a fucking great idea we'll wash cars so we'll go around selling little car washing packages the very first car that we washed yeah. my mate had a big metal wa- watch on and so we're washing the car and as he's washing the oh. car scratched the fuck oh. out of this Holden Commodore and it was a brand new Commodore so don't knock it uh, <laughs> and they came out and they were ropeable they called our parents our parents were mad and said oh, well fuck okay we can't we can't do that and so then the next, I think it was like two weeks later we thought we'll, we'll get my mate's old man's mower yep. so we went and sold one of the neighbours a, a lawn mowing package drove across um their uh, their driveway hit a rock and it went through a plate glass window easily probably about this size in the, in the front of their house 
uh, that cost both of our parents uh, a couple of thousand bucks to fix. Oh. And so after that, like we're sitting there going, our parents are like, you guys need to just get your <laughs> shit together. And then one day I was, was we in a bus driving home and I, I, look, we lived in a semi-rural area and so people used to sell horse shit in, in you know, bags at the front of their driveway all the time for $2 yeah. a bag. And I said to my mate, I've got the greatest idea here. And he goes, what? I said, uh, we're going to sell horse shit. And he goes, everyone sells horse shit. I said, no, mate, we're going to sell it door to door. And he's like, what? <laughs> and so we went to all the horse stables in the local area. We charged them $2 to shovel all the shit, which they thought was a bargain. Yep. And we ended up with these trailers full of fucking horse shit in garbage bags. And so we used to just put it into a wheelbarrow and take it door to door. Now, let me ask you the question. How much would you pay a 13-year-old kid with a wheelbarrow full of shit at your front door to go away? <laughs> so the sales strategy was uh, day one. It was great. First three weeks, we made about $360,000 in sales. And that's at $2.50 per bag, door to door, right? So you do the numbers. But then it was on like the fifth week, third or fourth, fifth week, I was at the, because um, my mum used to go to the, the nursery all the time because she was a brown thumb. She used to kill fucking everything that yeah. she would buy. So we're at the nursery on the regular. And I was there at the nursery and I saw a guy sprinkling fertilizer. I said, what have you got? He goes, it's horse shit. I said, well, where did you get your stuff? He goes, mate, out west. I said, well, I'll have a supply that's a little bit closer. <laughs> Long story short, he says to me, how many bags you got, kid? And I was like, I got 30 bags. He goes, how much you got and want? And I was like, 250 bag. He goes, I'll take all 30 at $2 a bag. And so from that day onwards, I had direct distribution. Yeah. I never actually went door to door anymore. And so we literally coined the term no shit because it got to the point where we <laughs> ran out of shit. And um, it's kind of a funny joke because we ran out of shit. We had no shit to sell <laughs> we had hundreds of dollars we like we were like pimps at the Townsville show that fucking yep. that year we had everything show bags lollies everything else it was uh, so that's what was my first product Mate, that's an awesome story. Thank you, mate. Yeah so uh, I've, I've evolved since then <laughs> <laughs> but tell me like so when you look at your career you went from your insecurity for a while yeah I was a protection I was in um, protection for about four and a half five years yeah, yeah. then you went into a very famous f professional personal development firm yep and, you know, was that a good learning to go into sort of Franklin Covey? Franklin Covey was very interesting, mate. I'd gone in there just after my first business had gone bad. So I'd started a business in the security industry. Uh, I'd been in security, got into the security industry. I was in, involved in um, protection, got involved in the hardware um, and the monitoring side. Um, the business we, we built did quite well, but it ended up it failing. And when it failed, I was like 23 and maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt. Got a job wow. with um, Franklin Covey. And at the time, I didn't realize how important it was going to be. Um, but what was really interesting is the job that I got offered, because I'd never been to it. When, when my business failed, I realized that I, I sucked in a couple of areas. The first mm -hmm. area that I realized I sucked in was administration. And the second area was in finance. And so I thought to myself, well, I'm going to now go and get a skill that's going to enable me to do those things well. But I'll get someone yeah. to pay me to learn. So I thought, I'll go get a job at a bank. But during the <laughs> recruitment process for the bank, I got offered the job with Frank and Covey. Yep. And that's how I ended up with them. And that was, um, that was really interesting. That was quite, mm. yeah, to be exposed and continuously around personal development at that level for, for two years was, was a godsend. And you're 23 years old. So a lot of, you know, 23-year-olds, I think, wouldn't have been exposed. Don't get exposed to that sort of, like, that is the real deal. Like, when you think about personal development, you know, there's a couple of people that come to my mind, you know, Jim Rohn. Yeah, you get Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Napoleon yeah. Hill, you know, Brian Tracy. Yeah, oh man, the legend. Uh, you the, got the, to meet. For my listeners, we know Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins, and like, you know, they are two living legends, right? They are. When you think about it. Yeah. And this puts it into context. I'm having a chat. I had dinner with Brian a couple of times, and he was telling me about the sit-downs and chats he used to have with Napoleon Hill. Oh. Can you yeah. fucking imagine? Oh, mate, I can imagine. I got goosebumps just yes. thinking about talking to Napoleon Hill, but you know, he's talking to a man <laughs> who actually had that opportunity. Absolutely. The, uh, the famous Brian Tracy. And there's a, f a great book. I'm not sure if you've read it. It's uh, Ogmandino. The greatest, greatest salesman in the world. Brilliant. It's one of my favorite books. Man. Yeah, great book. Um, so, man, so you've gone from 
business goes bust, you start learning some stuff about personal development. What, you know, what inspired you to sort of devote your life to helping people be the best they can be? That's a big question. Um, and look, I think there's a number of variables that go into the answer. But I, you know, I reached a point in my life, and this is, you know, if we fast forward, mm. probably almost a decade and and, and, a, and a bit, maybe a decade and a half. You know, I was at the around, around the age of, I was in my early 30s. Put it that way. I just sold a business. Um, and I'd always done things to help people, but I'd also had a very strong bent on making money. Like I was, I was, I've, I always wanted to make a lot of money because I grew up not having a lot of money. Yeah. But the more money I made, the more miserable I became. It was like one of those cliches mm. where no matter how much money I made, I was more miserable. And no matter what car I bought, it was only I was only happy for two weeks. No matter what sort of woman I was dating, it was only it was all it was all very temporary. It was all very transient. And it wasn't until you know I'd sold out of a business, I took two years off. I basically had got to the point where I even didn't make this joke. I was, I had gone, um, I was, I guess you could call it like retired. I didn't yeah. have to work. Um, but I was sitting on the golf course with a mate. I was playing golf with this mate of mine who's 74. He hits a drive. He hits it so hard that he shits himself. Right. <laughs> and he says to me, he goes, Oop, squeeze too hard on that one. And then I was like, what's that point? He goes, yeah, fucking <laughs> shot it on the, on the, on the follow. I was like, mate, he goes, but he says to me, don't worry, I've got my fucking whatever his nappy on is. And I'm like, I'm, I'm playing golf on a Thursday morning with a 74-year-old who just shit himself on his drive. What the fuck's going on with my life? Like, seriously. <laughs> I was like, you know, something's got to change, man. I'm going to have to change the rating of my show, man. Oh, honestly? <laughs> and so it was that, that weekend, I was on the beach and I literally sat on the beach and I was like, okay, what do I love to do? And I just, everything came back to helping people, you know? And... um. And I don't want to make this because I know sometimes when you hear a statement like this, it sucks, especially if you don't have a lot of money. But you know, I kind of I got to that point where, and everybody, and most people get to that point where they re, where they make enough money to realize that okay, it doesn't matter how much more money I make, I'm still just as empty, I'm still just yep. as broken, I'm still just as wounded, I'm still just whatever my shit is that I thought money was going to get me away from, I'm still there. And that to me is where the the real work begins, and the work begins not just on ourselves to help you know heal those mm. wounds and and fill those voids, but the work work also begins on okay so why am I really here if I'm not here to make money yeah why am I really here and oftentimes you know I talk about it the Bask as a Baskin Robbins dilemma where people are like well I don't know what my purpose is and I say well how many fucking how many you know you're in the life you're in a life which is like Baskin Robbins and everything you do is a, a flavor of ice cream how many ice creams have you tried you know and that's why I say to people mm. and they say I don't know what I do and I say well how many things are you trying they go well I don't know what to do so I just fucking try something yeah do something go out there and you know if there's 52 flavors in the in in in, in the shop go and literally try all 52 or at least try 41 you know because by virtue if you eat the same flavor every day whatever you're doing whatever relationship business product or service if you eat that same thing every day you may not realize that there's something better yeah. out there if you haven't actually tried and i don't mean that in the grass is always greener scenario because mm. i know some men will be hearing that kind of crap grabbing onto yeah. that but that's not my intent but uh, i love what you say man because there's you know i was fortunate that i found my passion early right like absolutely passionate I put a caveat on that, that I can't do anything with it. I'm the worst fucking builder. So I was lucky. Yeah, me too. I found the art of selling. Yes. Right? And I'm like, yes, I found it. But, you know, I speak to a lot of people that are in their 30s, 40s. They hate their job, but they do it anyway. And I can only imagine how difficult it is for someone to not have found their passion in life, but then get to that point where they're scared of making change, right? Mm. And I suppose that takes me down to, you know, I, I, I really wanted to talk to you about this because... There's probably in my, the influence that you've had on, 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 on me, man, is, you know, you are really open in sharing your story. Mm -hmm. 
you know, ADHD, trauma, um, you know, through an accident. Drugs, mental you know, health, yeah. parenting, you name it. Yeah, it's out there. And I know some people use stories so that they can create, you know, but you're real, man. You're real authentic. I've seen you in person. Um, what you see is what you get. And what I want to ask you, man, because you spent time, um, you know, really studying high performance um, I think you studied, you went with SEALs, was it? Yeah, I trained with the Navy SEALs. I trained with the European Special Forces. Now, I want to contextualize that. I didn't fucking run through mud (laughs) and like do the boat challenges. Like I just did all weapons. I was really just interested in the weapon side. But I want to take it back a step. So, you know, when you had that period of, you know, tough trauma, how did you move from that stage of, you know, difficulty to get to that position where your mindset was such a positive one, you know, one of, of growth. I just started taking one step at a time. You yeah. Know? And I, I see it all the time. People are looking for, they're looking for the 10 percenters, you know, they're looking for that thing. If I just do this, like, how do I get 50% along mm. the way really quickly? And so for me, you know, if I look at all my, all my traumas and, you know, I'm starting to even, you know, use that term a little bit loosely because I've had so many, you know, incredible things happen to me that most people would be labeled as being a trauma or being traumatic or being of such negative consequences. But I've, done so much work balancing those events out in my life that I can't look back on anything and see so much uh, I can't see what that would be considered as trauma other than just you know what I'd consider to be an an important life event but in any situation that I found myself in where I was unsure of what to do I was I used to just tell myself just do something like just take a step just make a call just send an email you know and that actually probably stems back because I was a competitive bodybuilder from um, about the age of 13 uh, powerlifter, bodybuilder, and my motto whenever I trained in the gym was just one more rep. Yeah, every and I was like, do one rep, one more, just do one more rep, one more yeah. rep, one more rep, one more set, one more set, one more set. And so when I got into business and I started working for myself, I was just okay, just one more phone call, just yeah. one more phone call, just one more phone call, just one more phone call, just one more phone call. And so I'd sit up there and you know I'd start saying that at let's call it five fifteen, but I'd be doing my last phone call at like you know eight fifteen yeah. at night because I just kept that was my mentality. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so for me, it's it's about taking a step, but just. Just take one more. Yeah. Just take one more. Because I think sometimes people get passive and they go, well, I've taken a step today. I can now relax. And so, well, fucking congrats. But you've still got another 2,488 <laughs> steps to go. And yeah. if you're taking one a day, do the math, bro. You know, yeah. it's going to be a long, probably painful life. Let's just jog for a little bit. Hmm. And so, mate, like going through some of those challenges, did you ever find yourself where, you know, getting a, a mindset of, of growth and did you have it? Did you find it challenging sometimes to really move out of that negative, that negative I find sphere? Life challenging now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think life is challenging now, and and again, it's to me, it challenges all, all relative. And I, and that's the thing that I think people believe. You once you get you get to a certain point in your life where you no longer have challenges anymore, mm. and it doesn't, it just doesn't exist. Yeah, you know, the most developed, the most enlightened, the most wealthiest people that I know, they're not absent of challenges. They probably have more challenges than most people. The difference being is, you know, those who are committed are committed to developing the resources to be able to deal with those challenges so that they aren't big. Yeah. You know, because what's a big challenge to me? Yeah. Put it this way. I had this conversation literally last week. What's a big, like (laughs) someone was coming in and they were telling me about a big challenge. And I was like, basically that was like not between 9.15, that's like between 9.15 and 9.30 on a Monday. And that was their whole day. Yeah. And I was like, let me show you my day. And they looked at my day and said, fuck, that's nuts. I was like, okay, (laughs) let's put it in perspective, you know? 
a challenge is a challenge based on where you only see a challenge based on where your mind is at. And if your mind is at a certain place and it lo looks at a certain puzzle and it can't work out where those things go, then it'll see it as a challenge. But if you can see that if your mind's at a certain level and you can see a puzzle and you can work at it instantly, mm. it's no longer a challenge anymore. But it's about understanding that we, are, we need to be constantly elevating ourselves, which means putting ourselves in situations where the, the challenges are evolving so that mm. our thinking does as well, so that our consciousness does as well, so that our decision-making does as well, so that we grow, yeah. which is ultimately why we're here. So go back a step, right? For people, for some people that might be listening to this that find it difficult to have that growth mindset, yep. right? So listening to this podcast, they're like, I'm hearing what you're saying. I've got the appetite for it. You know, what are some simple steps they can do to, to push them outside of their comfort zone to take action? Look, then this is going to sound super cliche, but just do one thing every day that scares yep. you. Like to me, you're only born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Every other fear has been adopted or learned or retained as a result of an example or information that was fed to you. And so, you know, I think that when you get that information, it makes it, re it makes it really important for you to sit back and start looking at your fears and going, okay, well, if I'm only born with two, where did the rest of these fears actually come mm. from? Because, you know, one of the reasons that I think people don't act is because they have a rational fear. And once we can, you know, have a, a level of understanding, um, you know, I, I think for me personally, I, I don't need a lot of understanding in order to act. I'm just driven by someone who takes action and I'm like, I learn along the way. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, you know, I find take, take your action and, and learn through the process, learn along the way. And mm. everything just always seems to take care of itself. Yeah. So... In your career so far, man, like when you look at high performance, again, you talk about that a lot. Um, what is, in your eyes, man, or, or in your, your opinion, what is a definition of high performance? High performance, is, high performance to me is having the ability to be able to perform at a predefined pre level regardless of the environment, situations or circumstances. Yeah. So to contextualize what I mean by that is anyone can perform at a relatively high level when the weather conditions are good. Yeah. Okay. It's a little bit difficult, more difficult to perform at optimal conditions when the weather is bad. And so for me, high performance is someone that has mastered their craft to the level where they can perform at the highest level of competency and coherence regardless of the weather conditions. Mm. So you could be in a cyclone in your business, okay, but you can stand strong as a leader. Yeah. Or you could be in a boat trying to captain your, your, your vessel and you could be in the middle of the cyclone. But in regardless of those scenarios, in your mind, it's a it's a it's a twenty two degree it's a twenty two degree day yeah. with eighteen knot winds and dolphins off the off the starboard bow. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, so to me, high performance is a mentality bound to maintain coherence and comprehension in high stress situations so that you can perform at a level yeah. that most people can't. And in order to get there, there needs to be a level of competency, right? Well, and that's what I was talking about before. I was going there. Uh, there's got to be competency, but there's also got to be tolerance. Yeah. You've got to be able to tolerate fear. And the way that we learn how to tolerate fear is through exposure to it. And although I was saying before, we're only born with two fears, the fear of loud noises and the fear of falling, every other fear is, is learned. But as a result of that learning, it's still a fear. And so we have to decondition ourselves to the fears that we have in order to realize that they're not as bad as what they thought. And the way that we decondition ourselves to fears is through exposure therapy. Now, exposure therapy was a term that was developed by NASA, I think, I think it was in the late 70s, early 80s when they were conditioning astronauts to be able to work for extended periods of time in claustrophobic conditions. And so what we've now learned through exposure therapy is if you expose yourself to something that you're afraid of on a regular basis, after a while, it loses its impact. Yeah. And so for me, that's where you know, it's, it is so important to be aware of what your fears are, but not run away from them, acknowledge them and actually accept them, but actually start exposing yourself to them on a regular basis. So all of a sudden, one day you wake up and it's literally not a fear anymore. Man, that's insane. It so is. exposure therapy. Yep. And so that's something that you've practiced constantly. Anything yeah. I'm afraid of, I do it. Like wow. I'm, I am broken. 
when it yeah. comes to fear because when I find myself afraid of something, my first compulse response is to do it. Yeah. Which is which can be very fucking dangerous. <laughs> Absolutely. Depending on the situations that you're in, you know? Yeah. You know, because if I'm I have a fear of heights and if I'm standing over you know, I love skydiving and you know, I was I was I got mad into skydiving was and I was hell bent on getting into base jumping. And so now whenever I am on whenever I'm on a low bridge or something, the first thing I want to do is jump off. <laughs> and not in a suicidal way, yeah. but in a way that I'm just so driven to it's like, man, if I had a bait if I had a pack them right now I'd be I'd be over this yeah. because I'm f why because I'm afraid and I just want to prove to myself that wow. that it's not and so for me I've become so conditioned to the moment I feel fear my my response is not run away my response yeah, is run into the fire yeah and it's and that has been done deliberately very surgically over easily two and a half decades of conditioning wow and have you ever found yourself in a position where you've got into something and gone what have I done many times yeah all the time and you just work through it yeah you got yeah. no choice being a father, man, I'm going to just yeah. take this as because I think for me, you know, being I was a young father, man, 20 years old, right? That's young. Yeah. I didn't listen to my dad when he told me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but being a father, I was a young father and I, I, I absolutely loved it. My daughter hit 16 and, um, you know, life started changing. And I never feared, but now I have a fear. Right? Fuck, I hear And it, it is a fear that I'm going. Mate, she's going out into the world. She's the, you know, I love her to death. Like, I would literally, you know, jump in a fire for her, man. Okay. Like, and you'd appreciate this, being a father, right? But I have, I've, you know, that's where my anxiety comes from because I've lost, I have no control. Mm -hmm. You know, I can, I can try to empower her to make the decisions, but she's going to make mistakes, man. We've made them, right? Yep. Like, you know, for people that are in that position where they, the fear's coming from not because they haven't got the competency, but they've got others around them that they can't, you know, so you know, as a leader, as a salesperson, when they're in a position where I've lost control because now the, the control is within the customer, the control is within the prospect, the, my people, my child. What are some What are some tips you can give to manage through that, man? <laughs> surrender. <laughs> it really is. I need my Surrender. <laughs> like, and surrender isn't about giving up. It's about letting go. Okay. You know, and, and whether it's a, a leader in, a, a, you know, in an organization or a leader as a parent, the best thing that we can do is equip our team or our kids with the the thinking, yep. the thought processes and the decision-making capabilities to ensure that when we're not there, when we are absent, that they're going to be okay. Yeah. You see, worrying about them is actually not only dysfunctional, it, it literally works against what we're trying to do. By virtue of worrying, we're projecting and we're sending information to the child or to the team member that we don't trust them. And in order to lead at the highest level, we must show yeah. them trust. And the way that we trust is by giving them a level of empowerment. You know, you don't just trust them. So I'm just going to trust Gloria. She's going to be fine. I'm going to work with Gloria. I'm going to train with Gloria. I'm going to show her how I think, how I make decisions. And over time, you know, that will start to, through osmosis, she'll start yeah. to make decisions like me and think like me and behave like me and she'll model me. And then I can go away for two weeks and I know Gloria's going to be fine because she knows how I yeah. operate. Does that make sense? I don't go away for two weeks and then ring her up every 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 30 seconds or ring up the hey, how, what's, what's Gloria doing what's Gloria doing is Gloria is she by having how many, how many coffees has Gloria had today because you know Gloria's going to get wind of that and go well, what the fuck what does he yeah, not trust yeah. me and if he doesn't trust me then maybe I should give him a reason not to trust me not that that yeah. would be her intent but when someone doesn't feel trusted that's not a good yeah. feeling whether you're a child whether you're a parent or whether you're just a fucking human being you know I, and that's where I think you know, mistrust often disguises itself in our ego, whereby we think we're trying to protect someone, but the reality is mm -hmm. we just don't trust them yeah. or we don't trust 
the situation or we don't mm. trust people and to me you know when you when you apply that level of limitation on individuals people circumstances places it's just a horrible way to live and I get it yeah. dude I've got PTSD so I don't yeah. you know I grew up I, I'm in an environment where if, 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 if you know if there's a loud bang I'm ready to go yeah. so I understand and I get it and I'm constantly preparing but I also know the the freedom that comes in just acceptance and surrender that being said I'm terrified that something's going to happen to my son yeah but he is the number one tool that I use right now to regulate. He's the only fear I have. He yeah. is the only fear I have. But see, what you, 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 you know, your message is great, man. Like when you talk about children, you're like, don't, I can't remember the exact wording you use, man, but it's like, don't, don't put fuck your, them up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, don't put your issues onto them. Don't make don't, it about you. Right. And oh, I've tried that, man. But and and, and you know, <laughs> I don't I want to make this I've a better. I've tried that. I've tried that. <laughs> I don't want to make yeah. this a counselling system, man. But I think, I think this is the dilemma that a lot of people have. That you know, that we're living in a world where there's so much going on around us, right? And and especially, I take sales because this is this is my profession. This is what I do. I help sales professional, and I also see that you know, an alarming stat that fifty to sixty percent of salespeople aren't meeting targets. Yeah, that's when you actually consider the impact that has downstream to them, they're going home, they're going stressed. It's having a massive impact. And I often say to people, you can't control whether somebody buys because that you have no control over that. But you can control your attitude, your mindset, your pipeline, how you turn up, how you show up, how you present yourself, the questions that you ask, the follow-up. But it's still, it's still a fear that people have. They're like, you know, the, the decision's gone. Um, and so that's why, and I, I relate it back to go, well, you know, how does that impact me? Because for me right now, my biggest fear is, is my children, yep. right? Because, I, you know, right or wrong, I get up because of them. Yep. You know, they are a big driver for me, man. You know, they are my life. Right? I get it. And, um, you know, I want them to be the best they can be. And, uh, and that's what I do, what I do, man. So that's why I love sort of seeing you in your environment. I mean, you bring, for, 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 for my listeners who hasn't, haven't seen this, Kerwin brings his son to big stage events. Yep. Who was the last one that he came up? I saw that online. Oh, I was on in front of 7,000 in Sydney a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. 7,000 in Sydney. Yeah, and he's embraced it. He loves it. He absolutely <laughs> loves it. He he thinks yeah. he was born to do that. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Yeah. So what's next for you, man? So you're conquering the world, right? Look, oh, conquering, taming, collaborating. You know, if anything, <laughs> you know, I'm collaborating with the world. Like I just, look, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking weird enough to believe that I think I can change the world and I'm crazy enough to actually have a good old go at it. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, which is, you know, doing what I can to help people, you know, through my own example, through my own lessons, through my own experiences. You know, and I, I feel very blessed that we, um, you know, we have the platform that we do because it's kind of, we've reached a point now, you know, and I said this before in another way, which is it's, it's gone beyond making money now. Like we've mm. had so many messages on the regular from people whose you know, lives that we've saved, you know, whose marriages that we've saved, whose, you know, kids, I mean, the, the stories that we get, the messages we get, it's literally off the charts. And when you start mm. to, when you, when you get your, let's call it your 50th note from someone who was, who had planned their day to die. You know, to take their own life, you know, whether it be through mm. pills or, you know, whatever. And then they just happen to stumble across a video on the day of or the day before mm. in the lead up. And that one video changes their perspective uh, and they end up going home and, you know, not taking their own yeah. life. And so now, you know, I have to kind of comprehend with the understanding that there are kids right now that have parents, mums and dads that are present as a result of a video. Mm. And so for me, this goes beyond now. I need to be very good commercially in order to be able to sustain and maintain and preserve my legacy to be able to do this yeah. for eternity and beyond. 
And so I need to do this intelligently, but for me, I need to preserve my legacy and make sure that we're getting the information into the right hands. So on that, magic wand question. Yeah. You got the magic wand. Where would you be? You know, where do you want to be in 12 months? What what, 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 what would that look like? Exactly where I need to be. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on the journey. I'm I'm exactly where I need to be now. I'll trust it. I'll be where I need to be in 12 months. There's a very strong probability it'll be in um you know in a um you know in a bigger capacity to what we're doing right now it, all, yeah. all, all the all the indicators are pointing that way but you know life can be interesting you know I'm 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 open to anything don't fuck with me I'm talking to the <laughs> universe right now but anything's possible you know anything is possible yeah but um I would just say we're going to continue to you know making continue to keep making an impact and helping people and changing lives yeah awesome man yeah thanks and- brother. I mean that's that's pretty powerful, right? I mean that's one. And again, I, I uh, you know I'm a lover of the personal development space, man. My first book, I'm not sure if you heard it, Jim Cathcart, Relationship Selling. I was 17 years old. One of the greatest books. He's in. He's, I you know I put him up there with the Brian Tracy's. Yeah, world. right. Um, you know he's uh, incredible, incredible um, author. And I love the personal. And one of again one of the things that I love about your con- content, it's that money component. I can't see it. It's not in there, well, right? and I, I like that. Brother. Well, we don't talk about right. we don't talk about money as a taboo subject, but I understand. Again, I'm obsessed with performance, and so as a, an obsession with anything, you you find out the details, you find out the tricks, you find out the hacks. And when it comes to performance, what a lot of people don't realize is how money fucks people up. It doesn't just fuck people up at a performance level commercially. It fucks artists up. It fucks athletes up. Money fucks people up. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I don't have an issue with money. I think money is one of the most beautiful substances on the planet. It's full of creative power. Yeah. But at the same time, if you don't have a solid relationship with it, if you don't understand how it can affect you, and again, and I want to make mm. this clear for the audience, when you focus on money, you are eight times more likely to engage in deceit, deception, and fraudulent related behaviors. So think about that. How many right. people get into business or do what they do because they want to make more money? And then as a result, they end up doing things or cutting corners because they just wanted to make yep. that sale. Whereas for me, there's got to be, for me personally, it's about focusing on a higher purpose. When you focus on a higher purpose, which might be to be of service and provide enormous value and to solve people's problems in a meaningful and commercially, you know, um, important way as a natural consequence if you can go and solve people's problems you're going to make money absolutely and you know what that's key no problem no sale that's what we say you know and there's a great book from uh, Keenan it's called Gap Selling and we love it because it's no problem no sale and one of the things that I say is money's a byproduct of what we do man you know I don't get up I say to people I don't get up in the morning and go I'm going to make this much money I'm going to come home and chuck it on top of my my bookcase and say look how much money I made today kids you know that doesn't drive me and I say that in selling for me the concept of selling is helping somebody achieve something better exactly right so man biggest influence in your career and why Shit, that's a tough one. Uh, right now, last five and a half years would be my son. <laughs> well, and, I, and I don't joke about that because he's taught me more yeah. about leadership than anyone. He's taught me more about resilience and grit than anyone. Um, he, oh, mate, the, the kid's just relentless. He is absolutely mm. relentless. He's completely fixated on what he's want. He's obsessed. And so he's really just made me a, a much, much better person. And I, honestly, I can't think of anyone in my entire life who's had a direct greater influence than that little kid. Mm. Uh, and I say that with a lot of consideration because I've had some incredible I've worked with some incredible people you know I've worked with Tony Robbins Demartini um, I've worked with some incredible human beings mm. and to be able to point to a little five and a half year old and say he's been my greatest mentor yet yeah, that's yeah that's, that's awesome that's not that's not a small statement and that balance 
you know, that heart, like, is balance an issue for you, man? Yep. My balance is an issue for anyone successful that I know. Yeah. Um, and it's never, look, I know people talk about how they've fixed their balance. And to me, balance is one of those things that it's all relative. Um, but for me, it's, it's not about achieving balance. It's about learning how to manage balance and learning yeah. how to manage. Because life to me is like seven, splin- seven spinning plates. Mm. And every now and then one of those spinning plates falls down and breaks and you've got to put it back together. And then you've got to put it back yeah. up and you're spinning. And every now and then, you know, this one will be spinning great. And you go, no, this is great. And then all of a sudden that one's wobbling. You've got to let go of that one and start spinning that one. Yeah. And so for me, it's just knowing where to direct your energy in the situations that require it. And for me, that's knowing how to prioritize. So balance to me isn't so much about how do I balance my life. It's about how do I know how to prioritize the things that are important in the moments that actually matter. Yeah. You know, so if it's 11 o'clock, you know, if it's 11 o'clock at night or 8 o'clock in the morning, there's a problem with, you know, if I'm trying to fix something with no, my attention's with him regardless of what's going on in the business. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and tension, man. I mean, you just mentioned that. You talk about tension. I love it. Right? Yeah. And uh, talk to me a bit about what that means for you. Like why tension such an, you know. Oh, so important. Tension creates strength. Tension seeks resolution. Um, you know, we require tension in order to build resilience. So it, there's so many applications. But in the context of sales, mm. in the context of selling, you know, our goal as, as professional persuaders is to help people realize their own issues and become intimately friendly with their current state of reality. And if someone's got a serious issue and they become familiar with their current state of reality, chances are that's going to produce a level of tension. Yep. And so as we know, physical tension, energetic, biological tension, all tension by virtue of what it is, it seeks resolution. And so for me, my goal in the sales process is to find where the tension points are and leverage them and produce as much tension as possible so that that tension as a natural consequence will seek some form of resolution. Now, most people when they create tension in a sales environment, mm-hmm. they'll use that as a, as a social indicator to go, oh, I shouldn't be doing that yeah. because there's a high probability I'm going to get rejected here because I'm creating a tense environment. Ooh, that's uh, that's not considered, you know, con- uh, what, you, what you call herd, herd, acceptable herd behavior. Yeah. Whereas for me, I don't give a fuck what the herd says. I'm looking for an outcome here. And so I'll yeah. produce tension. Okay. I'll focus on what people's problems are. I'll get them to focus on what their problems are. Get them to explore the impact of their problems you know, across all of their values because I want them to feel a level of tension and they can resolve that. Te- I can resolve that tension if I'm a low level weak salesperson and I can feel I'm producing tension in you by asking you tough questions. I can resolve that tension by saying, ah, oh, look, don't worry. The guy that I spoke to yesterday was 10 times more fucked than mm-hmm. you. It's, it's fine. <laughs> or I can yeah. crack a joke, you know, that would make yeah. them laugh and whew, yeah, yeah. resolve the tension. I don't want to do that. I want to build that tension whereby that they experience that physical tension and they know I need to resolve this tension. And the mm-hmm. only way I can resolve this tension is through the transaction. Yep. And because if you look at when people are tense, what do they do when they're tense? They look for a solution. Once they've got the solution, they can relax. Mm. It's in, what our goal is to produce a level of tension related to actual problems. So we're doing it in a moral and ethical way, but then show them by virtue of our expertise and our questioning and examination process that what we have is actually going to resolve their tension for them. So it actually is an easy decision. Imagine a sales process whereby they relax when they say yes. Yeah. Versus they, they get tense when they say yes. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? And it's funny because a lot of the, uh, you know, sales processes are built that saying that, and we, and we know that, you know, buyer's remorse, you know, they make the decision, they're not sure if it's the right decision and, and that tension kicks in and you've got to support them through the process. So yep. it's an interesting um, methodology. And if you were to wrap up two or three skills that, you know, separate great salespeople from everybody else, what would those two or three skills be? Oh, easy. Want nothing. 
focus on so you want nothing like great mm-hmm. salespeople they don't go into a sale wanting a sale yep. they go in there seeing for me my, my, my mantra is I'm here to be of service and receive the gifts of service that mm-hmm. that entails and so for me I don't want anything because the moment I want something in a, in a scenario it creates bias yep. and bias will prevent me getting accurate data so you want nothing the second thing is you focus only on what you're strong at you know any, people can sniff you know the imposters at a mile yeah. but most importantly when, when you try and you know cater to whatever people's problems are that aren't things you do you look desperate mm. do you know what i mean and so for me the reason you only focus on what you're good at is because you don't want to appear like you're trying to sell into a situation where you're weak because only a desperate person would do that yeah, yeah absolutely and the moment they clock onto that not only have you lost the sale you've lost credibility as well that's right and the third thing is your willingness to walk away from the social encounter if you can't be if, if there's no service mm. to be delivered or or, or or gifts to be received and so what that means to me the moment i clock in that i'm not supposed to be there or if you know they keep looking at their watch they're giving me these you know ridiculous objections or they're being a hard ass or they just don't have problems that I can solve I will literally on the spot I don't care if it's one minute 10 minutes 13 minutes or 33 minutes I'll stop on the dial and go you know what I just don't think that I'm gonna I'm, I don't think I'm delivering any value in this John I notice that you keep looking at your watch no matter how many times that we've taken this you keep looking at your watch I get the sense there's a time constraint yeah. What's going on? No, no, no. There's no time constraint whatsoever okay that's a really fucking terrible one actually we'll cut that one out <laughs> <coughs> um, let me give you a really a really good example um what were we talking about? Sorry, I just lost my no, train of thought. You lost, you know, three characteristics. Oh, that's it. What nothing for example, to do well, and you demonstrate your willingness to walk away. And so, for ex- okay, so for example, um, if if you're in a scenario whereby uh, why is this coming so difficult today? <laughs> if you're in a scenario, so to me, demonstrating your willingness to walk away shows that you're not attached to the social scenario. Yeah, because most people will subjugate themselves and their values in order to maintain social connection. And so, what a top-selling performer will do is they don't care about their social perception; they care about whether or not they can be effective in that moment. Mm. And so, when you when you realise that you can no longer be of service in that moment because they they don't have problems that you can solve, or they're giving you hard-end rebuttals that you know that, that aren't going anywhere. I literally, you literally stand up and remove yourself from that scenario. And when you do that, what happens 99% of the time is that their behavior will correct, correct almost every single time. It's a takeaway. They don't want to lose anything. Look, it's called the takeaway sale, but for me, it's just like, just demonstrate your willingness to Absolutely. walk away. Because w- what we know about primal behavior is that which, w- that which runs away is prey, that which chases us, sorry, that which runs away is opportunity, that which chases us is prey you know and you don't sorry that which runs away is prey that which chases us is predator and you don't want to be the predator in a sale and I know this sounds sounds so counterintuitive in the sales scenario we're taught to be you want to be the lion you want to be the predator but what you've got to understand is when you chase people their their biological primal response is to run away Mm. whereas if you can get people interested and then demonstrate your willingness to walk away once they're interested in they'll chase you yeah and then all of a sudden, you're not having to pitch people. You're, Absolutely. You're, you're, you're elegantly persuading. I often say that, man. I say, sales, <laughs> not a, sales not a pitch, you know. We don't have to pitch anything if our understanding of their, what they're trying to achieve is clear. Um, so, man, before we wrap up, uh, where can, you know, our listeners find more about you and where can they connect with Mate, um, kerwinray.com, uh, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, yep. Snapchat, he's fucking TikTok now. <laughs> mate, we're everywhere. Yeah. No, fantastic, man. Well, mate, I really appreciate you taking Pleasure. some time to come on the Sales IQ podcast. I love your content, man. I appreciate your message and I value what you're doing, you know, to help people and business grow, man. Pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. Thanks, brother. Cheers, Luigi.